This sermon is from the new series, Overcoming Evil. We hope and pray that this message will deepen your love for Jesus and give you the courage to overcome evil with good. That starts comes from um, Psalm 42, and uh, that's where a lot of those uh, a lot of those thoughts come from from that song. But thank you for uh, leading us in worship, Pastor Mike, and uh, each of you all uh, for honoring the Lord. And I'm thankful that you're here this morning uh, as we continue this series. Uh, we're going to uh, look at how we overcome evil with generosity. Now, when you think of the word generosity, your first thought might be uh, your pocketbook. However, you're going to find that uh, this morning's message is uh, entirely different uh, than uh, maybe what you are originally thinking. But as we continue uh, through this this chapter, I want to begin reading in verse number 13. The word should be up on the screen as well. It says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not, verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And uh, I want to go back to the Lord this morning and let's ask him to uh, really encourage us as well as give us the grace that's needed with the challenges that are found in this text as we look at this idea of overcoming evil with generosity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Uh, Just again, the privilege to uh, be in your house here this morning. And uh, God, we uh, we lift our praise unto you. God, you are worthy of all honor and all praise. And uh, Lord, we pray as we look into your word now that God, you will, uh, Lord, you'll give us the grace that's needed. Uh, Lord, to to hear the, uh, the, the, the heavy challenge that is found in this text. But each and every one of us know that there is great evil that's taking place in the world around us, maybe even in our lives, maybe even in our homes and families. And God, if we're going to overcome that, we're going to have to overcome it by the, uh, by, by, by the pattern with which Christ gave us. And as we're going through this text, we come to an area of generosity. And Lord, I pray that, uh, God, we would uh, just hear what you have for us this morning and that you get all the honor and all the glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I'm looking up words, I usually uh, just look in my trusty old dictionary. I have one uh, right in the top drawer of my desk, and I'll look up words. But this particular week, I looked up the word generous on my iPhone. And so I asked Siri. I just literally pressed Siri, and I said, what is the, what is the definition of generous? And here's what she came up with. Maybe Siri's a male on your phone, but it's a female on mine. And she said, a readiness to give more of something that is strictly necessary or expected. And then I looked up in my dictionary, and that's exactly what it means. And so she got it you know, right on the head there. But a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. So a generous person, they, they go the extra mile. A generous person is one who is motivated by love, that he or she goes beyond what is required by the law. Now, let me say something very early on here this morning. Love always goes beyond the law. The verses before us today, they, they reflect the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so when you became a Christian, you become, you are in Christ. 
God puts within you the Holy Spirit of God. And God does this so that he can empower you for a life that mirrors Christ. A life that mirrors what we see in his incarnation or when he became man that first Christmas and we celebrate it every year. Also in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. We're going to kind of compare and we're going to take a look at those three different areas of Jesus Christ's life. A generous life, excuse me, has the three dimensions and we're going to look at these in ascending order of difficulty. Now let me say this. None of these are easy. But we're going to begin with the one that is the least difficult. And so my prayer all week and my prayer this morning is, is that God would give us the grace as we face the challenge in this text. All of us would acknowledge the evil Many times we're being overcome by it. However, we want to be those overcomers in our world, and this text really helps us with that. So let's notice, first of all here, be generous by reproducing the example that God has given you in Christ. Be generous in reproducing the example that God has given to us in Christ. So we're going to see that actually in verse 15 here this morning. It says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Again, we're going to kind of start with the least difficult, and we're going to make our way up to, of course, the most difficult, which what I believe in this text. And so when we consider the Lord, And we consider his incarnation or when he became man uh, through through, through the virgin birth of Mary and he was born on that first Christmas morning. We want to kind of consider that and what that means. See, if you're going this morning to be able to do this, to be able to be generous and to fulfill rejoicing with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep, then you're going to have to get close to other people. You cannot do this from a distance. In each of these verses that we're going to look at this morning, 13, 14, and 15, but we're starting in verse 15, each one of them have a temptation that kind of goes along with it. And the temptation that goes along with verse 15 is, is to remain aloof to be detached from other people, to keep to yourself. Now hear me, if if you do that, then you and I, we cannot do what God is calling us to do in this text. Now some of us this morning might respond, well, you know, I'm 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 a private person. No, no, hear me, I get that. I, I, fully, I fully understand that. And so the question that you and I begin to, that we must begin to ask ourselves is, okay, well then how am I going to be able to fulfill this command with which God is calling me to, to rejoice with them that rejoice and to weep with them that weep? Because God calls all of us to be a loving person. And the only way that we can really be, hear me, a loving person is to find ways to get close enough to other people so we can feel their pain and so that we can also share 
in their joy. And so let me ask you a question right off the bat here this morning. Whose pain are you feeling right now? Not what pain are you feeling, because we're all like in some kind of pains, right? Whose pain, someone else's pain, are you feeling right now? I wonder how many of you in this room here this morning have a prodigal in your family. Maybe someone that you can look at, maybe it's a, maybe it's a son or maybe it's a daughter or maybe it's a brother and, and, they, and they at one time were you know, kind of on fire for God and they've, just, and they've just drifted. Maybe they're not even in church anymore. Maybe they don't want anything to do with God. I wonder how many of you in here have a prodigal. And what I'm almost tempted to do here this morning is kind of, if you're willing to even to raise your hand, and we would, literally, we, we would literally pray for you, but I don't know if you would necessarily want that. Maybe someday our church will get to that point, and I, I desire something like that. To where someone maybe raise their hand, and some of us, we get up, put our hands on them, and literally pray right in the middle of a service. But feeling their pain, the pain that, that, that goes on in their life when they've got loved ones that have just strayed away from God and they want nothing to do with him. So whose pain are you feeling right now? Oh, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a private person. Okay, well then how can you figure out a way to where you can feel the pain of someone else? Let me ask you another question here. Whose joy are you sharing right now? I mean, right now. I mean, you are, you're fired up for them. They're, they're experiencing something great in their life. I've got someone like that in my life right now that I'm thinking about. And I am rejoicing with this individual because of some of the things that are kind of going on in this individual's life. And I'm excited. Who are you entering into their joy with? Now think about how God models this for us right at the beginning of the Bible story. You've got to understand that God is in, prior to, prior to time as we know it, God's in heaven, and he's completely self-sufficient. Here's what that means. It means that he only needs himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't, he doesn't need you. But God, he made man and he made woman. But what he didn't do is he didn't just leave them to live their life on their own. You know, God totally could have just sat in isolation of heaven and he could, have, he could have watched them from a distance. But God doesn't do that. Instead, God comes down. God makes himself available and in a sense even, even visible and he walks with them in the coolness of the day. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3.8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God did this because of his love. Love does more than just watch from a distance. Love comes alongside and walks with others in joys and in sorrows of their lives. And so, whose sorrow are you feeling right now? Whose joy are you also able to rejoice with right now? I mean, can you, can you think of them? These, appear, these appearances of God in a visible form, they're, they're repeated all throughout the Old Testament. And then they point all forward to, a, to, to the great outpouring of love when God would actually become man in Jesus Christ. Christ came close to us. Christ, he, he enters into our joy. Jesus Christ, he shares our pain and our sorrows. In the book of John, in, the, in his gospel, he talks about seven miracles of Jesus. 
And he called them signs because they all point to who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And the first of these signs, or the first miracle, is when, when he went to a wedding. And the last miracle that John talks about was a funeral. So he talked about a wedding and a funeral. And whose wedding was it? When Jesus Christ went and turned the water into wine at Canaan of Galilee, who was it for? I mean, come on, come on. You, 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 you all, you know your Bibles, right? Who was the wedding for? We have no clue, do we? We don't know their names. They're, they're completely nameless, but Christ enters into the joy of their marriage. He rejoices with those who rejoice. Your joy, hear me, is Jesus' joy. And then we come to the funeral, and we don't know who the person's funeral was. The person's funeral was Lazarus. And Lazarus was a deeply loved uh, brother of Mary and Martha, and he was an extremely close friend to Jesus. And so when our Lord heard the news of Lazarus and how he had died, the Bible tells us that he, that he came to Bethany. And Lazarus, he'd already been dead for a while, and they laid him in the grave. But the family, they, they were still mourning. The people that were around, they were, they were still crying. They were still mourning. They were still weeping. And uh, I had a meeting on Friday, and I'm going to be doing a funeral next week. And, and I was trying to explain to them, listen, death isn't normal. It's not natural. Man was created to live forever in the garden and eat of the tree of life every single, you know, every day or whatnot in the period of time. And then sin enters in, and then now we have death. And so death isn't normal. Death does bring uh, improper, or, or I mean proper mourning and weeping and crying, and that's what happens. And so Mary comes out and she meets Jesus, and John records in John 11, verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Hear me, that is your Savior. He was moved to the very core of his being by a woman's tears. And then John tells us in verse number 35, Jesus wept. You study that word wept. We rarely do it, guys. I mean, it is where you are uncontrollably sobbing, where you cannot, you cannot stop for anything. You are, you are weeping. So let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus weep? when he knew in just a few minutes he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Well, the answer to the question, I believe, is that Christ truly enters into our sorrow. He feels the pain of loss. And so Jesus, he understands. In his incarnation, in him becoming man, he says, hey, I want to I love you. So I'm going to get close enough to you so I can rejoice. I'm going to go to a wedding. I'm going to enter into your joys. And then I want to be close enough to when you're hurting, when you're sorrowful, when you're weeping, when you don't know where to turn, I am there and I'm feeling it too. That's the command that we're given here in Romans 13. For you and I to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. But we also see another way here to be generous. And the second point is be generous by releasing the gifts that God has given to you 
in Christ. Again, we're just getting a little bit, it's getting, it's getting, getting a little bit harder. We're to release the gifts that God has given to us in Christ. We see that in verse number 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Now, generosity is a readiness to give more than is necessary, to give more than is expected. And so here Christ, he calls us to a generous generosity, but especially in relation to our homes, to our time, and to our possessions. See, the word translated hospitality here, it is the, literally, here's what it means. It means loving strangers. Loving strangers. It's the exact same Greek word that's used in Hebrews 13, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. So here's what the author of Hebrews, and here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans. He's saying, look out for people who are on their own. Paul says, be especially generous to brothers and sisters in Christ who do not have a circle of connections. Church family, if I can just help us really quick. Come on, if I can just help us really quick. You and I ought to be very, very careful about making like clicks at church. I'm guilty. I'm not, I, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me, okay? But where we, where, where we don't just talk to the same group of people every, every single Sunday here, okay? So you and I, we, we, we've got to be cautious of this. And you've got to remember who Paul's writing to. Paul's writing to a, the group of Christians here in early Rome. And these Christians, they were, they were receiving one of the greatest persecutions that the church had ever even seen at the time. Believers who were persecuted in one town, you know what they would do? They would flee to the next. And as they go to that next town, they're hoping somebody would take them in. They're hoping that somebody would help them of some kind. And Jesus said of this in Matthew chapter 10, it says, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. Now I want you to follow this real quick. Put yourself in their shoes. Let's say that you're a Roman. You're saying persecution's coming into your town. Listen, they're burning it down. They're doing these things. So what do you got to do? You got to go to another town. What are you going to do when you get there? Listen, it's not 2017 where you can just like slip a credit card and get a hotel room. It's a different world back then. And you know what these people would have been relying on? Other Christians to help them. Hear me when I say this. I guarantee you the enemy of that day, they weren't helping the Christians. They were hurting the Christians. They were against the Christians. And so, listen, you and I, we've got we to understand, if we're going to overcome this evil, we're going to have to be, see, you thought I was trying to hit your pocketbook. Not at all. You gotta be, you, you, you've got to be generous towards just the people that come into your life. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So here's the temptation that comes with this command. To regard what God has given us as our own and keep it for ourselves. 
Hey, remember the first temptation is, hey, you know, nah, I'm just going to, uh, you know, yeah, you clearly, you clearly got issues. <laughs> you know what? I'll just stay over here. I don't want to feel that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay at a distance. I'm going to just stay aloof. I'm going to kind of just slip in, and I'm just going to slip out. Okay? No, no, no. There's the temptation for that. Because if we get too close, we've got to care too much. We've got to take their hurt and their problem, what's compassion, and feel that in our own hearts. Well, the temptation with this one is to be like, hey, God, you've, you've blessed me. Hey, you've, you've given me a lot. Thanks. You should have walked with God more. He would have blessed you too. Oh, instead it's, God, this is, what you've, this is what you've given me. And God, if you give me an opportunity and I can be a help, then I want to be a help. I mean, think about Christ. Think about his resurrection. Remember, the, we're going to look at his incarnation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. I mean, think about that. Think about when Jesus ascended to heaven. What did Jesus do when he ascended into heaven? He opened up his home. Right? And who did he open up his home to? Strangers. To you and me. He gives generous gifts to you and me. Ephesians 4.8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Obviously the greatest gift we were given is the Holy Spirit. And that's where those gifts are um, lived out. And so Christ welcomed you. When you were a stranger, he, was, he brought you into his family. He has showered good gifts upon you. Do more than is necessary. Do more than is expected in regards to the needs of the saints. Because it is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now the third one. The third one's tough. Okay, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're going in this, kind of, we, we started with, yeah, I, I'm not saying that entering into people's sorrows is easy. Okay, I'm not saying that. But entering into their rejoices and their sorrows. And then it's talking about, okay, not regarding what God's blessed you with. Instead, you're willing to bless others with that. Let's get to number three. Be generous by reflecting the blessing that God has given you in Christ. By reflecting the blessing that God has given you in Christ. Let's look at the verse, verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. What? Bless them that persecute me? No. I want to do that. And so here's the temptation. Is when someone brings pain into your life, seeking their goodwill will not be your natural instinct. See, the natural course is that you, you focus on the injustice. The thing that was said. The thing that was done unto you. Hear me, those of you that are married in here, you know what I'm talking about. We can, we can kind of focus on those things. What she said and what he did and, you know, things like that. And what happens is we begin to say, no, no, this is inexcusable. We can't do that. Hear me, don't be overcome by evil. That's what Satan wants you to do. I'm not saying this is easy. I told you it was going to get harder as we moved up. Here's what we must do. We must bless those who persecute us. We need to seek their good. 
We saw that a generous person is one who gives more of something that is necessary or expectant. So what does it mean to give of your blessing here? It means that you're seeking the good of another person. God says, hey, give to this person where it's not deserved. Give even though it may never, ever, ever be returned. Do this. Why? Because this is how God has dealt with you in Jesus Christ. Consider the crucifixion. Jesus Christ never one time cursed those that were crucifying him. He never reviled again. He never never fought back. Instead, those that were killing him, those that were attempting to kill him, instead, he was willing to just take of that. 1 Peter 2.23 says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Get even. That's what happens in our world, doesn't it? You know, one person says something, and then you know what? I'm going to say something, and it always, you know, kind of ceases. (laughs) No escalates, right? I got to say this and she's got to say, and it just goes and it goes and it goes. But Jesus did something different. He sought the good of those who brought him pain. He prayed for them to be blessed. He said in, in Luke 23, he says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Notice what this says, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus' words, they tell us something here about spiritual condition of those who were persecuting him. They were spiritually blind. They didn't know because they couldn't, they were unable to see the ramifications of what they were doing to Christ. So Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't even, they don't even know what they're doing. They're completely blind. This is just what they think they ought to do. Uh, Robert Candish, in his book on Romans 12, is excellent. It says, when a wrong is done to you, you can do one of two things. The first is to brood on the evil or to kind of chew on it and stew on it. The injustice, the offense. But the more you do that, the more your own heart, what? Will be hardened. You just continue to chew on that. You continue to get bitter. You continue to get angry. Hear me. Listen to me. When you do that, I promise you that other person doesn't even know you're killing yourself. You want to know what this is? The the bitterness and just stewing on it. You know what it's like? Let me give you a word picture. It's like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. That's an option. And many of us do it, guys. Me included. I'll stew on it and I'll think about it. How dare they say that? Okay? Well, let's get to another option here. But there is something else you can do. You can put yourself in the shoes of the person who has hurt you. Ask yourself, what would my life have been like if his or her story had been mine? What if I had experienced what he or she has endured? He goes on to say, how would it be for you if you still suffered from the same blindness to the glory of Jesus, the same estrangement from the love of God that still afflicts him or her? They do not know what they are doing. Do you remember what God said to Jonah about Nineveh 
in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, and should not I spare Nineveh? Just let me tell you this. Jonah did not want God to spare Nineveh. And so God says, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons? So let me say this. what it is. It's a great city. It's a city of 120,000 people. And here's what God says about them. That cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. That's what God describes them. Here's the people who had sinned to the point where they no longer knew that they were even sinning. They didn't know the difference between right and wrong. They were calling good bad, and they were calling bad good. The tragic condition does not call for anger. It calls for pity. It calls for compassion. When you see it for what it is, you actually will begin to feel sorry for them. To be that far from the knowledge of God is tragic. To live in a world with such evils and such atrocities. I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying that we're never going to get angered by the things that go on. But hear me, it ought to actually break your heart. Because they don't even know what they're doing. They're blinded to the love and the glory, the things that we find in Jesus 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, And whom the God of this world, who hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan's completely blinded them. The world's blind to the glory that you and I, every single Sunday when we sing about it, that we see in Jesus. They're blinded by it. And when we know that someone is blind, you and I, we don't get angry with them that they cannot see us. Well, we begin to feel sorry for them, don't we? We begin to have pity. We begin to have compassion on them. And so if, if it were not for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you and I would be blind to this glory also. I could not imagine where I would be apart from Christ. I could not imagine where I would be, what my home would be like, what my, the way I would treat my children if I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so remember this morning how God has dealt with you. See, everything in Romans chapter number 12 is written in the light of God's mercies. Everything. According to the mercies of God. That's what it starts with in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. And so you and I, we come down to verse number 13. It's in light of God's mercies that we distributing to the necessity of saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that you rejoice and weep with them that weep. Church family, hear me. We were the worst sinners when Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us when we were the most hostile towards him. It was while we were still his very enemies when God was working out a plan to reconcile us, to bring us into the family, to really for him to become our friend. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life.
Hear me and I'm done. Jesus lived generously with us so you and I can live generously towards others. This passage is extremely crushing if you don't rest in the gospel. If you don't rest in the mercies of God, if you do not this morning rest in the fact that Jesus was strong for us so you can be weak. If you don't rest in the fact that Jesus Christ was exemplary so you can be not so great. If you don't rest in the fact that Jesus was someone so you can be free to be persecuted. You are free to be cursed at. You are free to be taken advantage of because Jesus Christ, hear me, is everything. If you and I do not believe that, if you and I do not rest in that, we come to a text of Romans chapter 12, verses 13, 14, and 15, and you leave here with the heaviest of backpacks on. And I assure you with all of my heart, that was not my intent. My intent was to show you that because of Jesus, we can live this way. Because of his victorious life, I can fail. And I can struggle with loving people. And I can struggle with giving of my things. I can struggle with sympathizing with the wounded. Because Jesus perfectly did it. And I rest in that. And that Jesus is my king. And he is my hero. And he is my source of strength. And then I take the grace that is needed to pray, God, help me to live in this fashion. Oh, because you're being commanded to live this way but the pressure comes off because Jesus lived it for you. And so now you can say, God, help me to live in this fashion. Whose sorrow do you feel this morning? Whose joy can you rejoice in? Who do you need to say, hey, can I help you in some way? And then who do you need to just say, I'm just gonna take it. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna take the persecution. I'm going, to take the, uh, I'm going to take the cursing because they're blinded to the glory of Jesus Christ. And you pity them. And so you bless them. You want the best for them. And the best for them would be Jesus. Let's run to him right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Heavy, heavy, heavy passage few minutes, we're going to sing again. Lord, I need you. Boy, do we need him. Run to him right now.